You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, and this is our second program with Commissioner Michael J. Copps of the Federal Communications Commission. My guest now leaves the FCC after two terms in office, clearly with much to regret about what the Commission has and has not done to make certain that broadcasting in America functions truly in the public interest. So now let's pick up where we left off last time. Commissioner Copps, I'm delighted you stayed. I had the feeling, as I suggested at the end of the last program, that I wanted to talk about such things as uh, the Fairness Doctrine, Equal Time, that you really felt that that was old hat. Let's not engage in that, or that you felt perhaps that it was futile to do so. Let's have some, uh, some separation here. Uh, the public interest is at the heart and soul of the Telecommunications Act, and the public interest is at the heart and soul of what we as a commission are supposed to be doing with our oversight of radio and television and, uh, uh, and the cable industry. So what we need now are policies that reflect the uh, public interest in the 21st century. Part of the public interest is making sure that the media is open to a diversity of inputs. Part of the public interest is to make sure that the media is reflective of the uh, different cultural uh, contributions uh, to communities uh, of a license so that everybody can be heard and that issues of interest to that uh, community are, are being teed up in the programming. It's very, very important we have that. Uh, I think we should be focusing our discussion on how do we get that in the 21st uh, uh, century. I'd, I think probably if we just tee it up as should we bring back the Fairness Doctrine, which the FCC recently completed taking off the books. Everybody thought it was already dead and buried, but I guess they decided to bury it again just to make sure it was gone. How did it do that, by uh, how did it bury it again? Uh, I think the uh, commission went through some of the rules that it uh, thought it had eliminated years ago, and this would have been eliminated, as you know, back in the 1980s, and found out that somebody had forgotten actually to take the pencil or the scissors or whatever they do to cut them out of the regulations, so they made sure that the, the, the scissors worked <laughs> this time. So much for fairness? So much for the fairness doctrine, yes. I hope not, uh, not for fairness. Uh, because all of those things are important. So uh, uh, I want to bring back uh, guidelines that are not onerous, but that are reflective of the public interest. I think that a station owner or a broadcaster has an obligation to go out in their community of license and talk to the people who live there about the kind of programming they want to see. We used to require that back when stations were locally owned and the local station owner went to the barber shop, went to the bakery, went to the grocery store, knew his community was part of it. We still said you have to go out and talk to people, make sure you're hitting everybody and, and reflecting their interest. Now the station owner could be 2,000 miles away and we said, don't worry, about you. you don't have to do that anymore. So I think we have to have that kind of community discovery. I think we have to have uh, something in our licensing system that is news-centric. 
I think that's our shortfall right now, is the shortfall in news and information, the lack of investigative journalism, the newsrooms that have been cut back as a result of consolidation and as a result of this bottom-line quarterly report mentality that now drives stations. Now, it didn't used to, uh, didn't used to be that way. There's a famous story about uh, Bill Paley back in the uh, early days of CBS, gathered all of his uh, news folks around and said... Uh, I want you to go out and do the news. Don't worry about the cost. Don't worry about the money. I've got Jack Benny to do the entertainment on the, on the network, and I'll, t I'll take care of the rest. We don't have too too many of that. Uh, too many people with that kind of approach are telling their news people that now. We don't we don't have that many news people to tell it to. But that was before uh, Don Hewitt proved that uh, you didn't have to make news into a, a lost leader. Mm -hmm. That news could produce profit, and once that was known. Mm -hmm. Are you going to keep them down on the farm yeah. after that? Well, now it's the profit leader rather than the loss leader. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, but we paid an enormous uh, price for that, and I think there are some, some signs that that kind of news is not, uh, uh, certainly it's not fulfilling its public interest obligations and probably not uh, meeting the expectations of a lot of people right now either, citizens. But, what, but when the news does appear, do you feel that there's no room for fairness and a fairness doctrine? Of course there's room for fairness. There has to be fairness. But not there has a to be diversity of I think if we bring back something that was passed or initiated, I should say, back in the 50s or whenever it was, 60s, a long time ago, uh, in, in exactly that guise, uh, we're never going to get any public interest kind of uh, responsibility back. So, as I say, I don't want it to be onerous. I would, uh, I would be the first to say that the fairness doctrine, as it existed at the time, was not as onerous as it uh, remains in, in people's memories and some broadcasters' memories right now. I mean, uh, the fairness doctrine never required that every viewpoint be... Uh, uh, reflected in programming or that everybody would have access to it and it left a good bit of discretion to the uh, uh, to the broadcaster yet there are some of the old-time independent broadcasters whose opinion I respect who would tell me it had a chilling effect on what they did now, I wasn't there I don't know if that's true or false but I don't want something that has a, uh, a chilling effect on, uh, on their innovation and, and doing what they need to do but I do think we have to have guidelines that make sure that we tee up a diversity of programming for the people and that we reflect local communities local cultures and I think I think we've got a problem going beyond uh, localities. As you know, the FCC does not regulate networks uh, uh, per se. Uh, but I think we have, uh, if you talk about lack of news and investigative journalism, that's, uh, that's as much a network problem as a local news problem, not more so. I mean, what's, it's interesting. People will say now, well, look at all the news we have right now compared to what we had uh, 30 or 40 years ago, all these outlets. And I usually say, you know, I remember the first news I saw on TV, which was probably back in 1947 or 48 on our little seven-inch Motorola television set in black and white. It was John Cameron Swayze doing the uh, evening news. John Cameron Swayze had a bureau in London, a bureau in 
Paris, a bureau in Rome, a bureau in Tokyo, a bureau in Bonn, and bureaus all around the world with people staffing those bureaus. Where are those network bureaus right now? Most of them don't exist. If they do, a stringer comes in on a lot of them uh, to cover the programs. You don't know if you have a trustworthy news source uh, or not. So quaint as those days may have seemed, in some ways they were uh, producing better news back, uh, uh, back then. And I, I can't tell you how much I feel that having these kind of guidelines in the books would make a difference because I've talked to a lot of uh, uh, folks like uh, Walter Cronkite and Marvin Kalm and Ted Koppel and Dan Rather, people were there, who said it made a difference back then when they knew that there was somebody watching, that there was an FCC that was watching and that at least had the potential to take action, whether they took it or not. At least we talked about it. At least we talked about it as a public value. And now that's, uh, now that's gone. We've got to get back to that sort of, uh, that sort of uh, arrangement when, where people who are given free use of the airways and an opportunity to make a wonderful living and who in many cases do a wonderful job. I'm not the anti-broadcast uh, guy at all. I, I love broadcasting. And I think there are lots of small and independent broadcasters still out there in whose breast the fire of the public interest continues to uh, uh, burn brightly. But in this marketplace in which we live with its unforgiving expectations, it's more and more difficult for those people to do their job. It's almost impossible for them to do their job. Until we, until we learn to say no to some of these mega-mergers and until we get back to a way to express the public interest and have a licensing regime that makes a difference. Uh, until we do that, we're going to continue on this uh, slide to less and less news and the slide that dumbs down too many, uh, uh, too many issues uh, at a cost, as I've said before, that this democracy cannot afford to pay. But I wanted to find out from you what you mean by guidelines, phrase you've used. You don't want uh, limit. Free speech? What do you mean? No, by I don't want to limit free speech, but I think uh, it's perfectly legitimate for the FCC to say, well, uh, what proportion of your money are you, are, are you investing in some proportion of your money into the news? Is it going up or going down? Have you closed a news bureau since you, have you closed your news operation since you were in for a license last time? Mr. Have you expanded it? Mr. Commissioner, I closed my news bureau. So what? What do you have to do with that? Well, now, what I do you think do when, when somebody says that to you? I've been at the FCC for 10 years, and we have not taken away a license on public interest grounds in that entire time, nor for the 20 years preceding my arrival Is that there. good or bad? That's awful. You mean That's you terrible. should have swatted someone? If people cannot use the, the license that they are given to benefit the public interest, I say use it or lose it. Take it away and give it to somebody who will use it, of course. Well, Commissioner, I've been using it, and my ratings for my reality programs are stupendous. Look at that, and think of the money I'm making. Now, how can you say well, I'm not know. serving some well, public I interest? I, I can serve you a bowl of spinach and a, and a Big Mac here, and you're probably going to take the Big Mac. Absolutely. And, right. and what business is it of well, the FCC? It's not very good for your health. But what good is it? What, what business is it of the I FCC? I think it's the business of the FCC because the FCC is responsible for overseeing the stewardship of the airwaves. The airwaves belong to the American people. It's a public resource. There's not an airwave in the United States of America that belongs to any company, any special interest, or any individual. Okay, and when I don't do what you think or what the commission thinks 
sitting on bonk, and it's a unanimous vote. What do you do? You take away my license? That's what I, that's what I said, yes. But the commission itself had never done that, or had done very it in, very did, seldom. Uh, you'll, 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 you'll remember the case in the civil the rights. The red staff, line. Uh, no, the, the broadcasting uh, uh, the case South. WBLT or yeah. whatever it was. And But we took that away only when then... Uh, uh, not Supreme Court Justice, but Circuit Judge uh, Warren Berger ordered us to take that license away. We kept refusing. No, we're not going to take it away. It might be segregationists. They might be cutting off uh, the Martin Luther King uh, news and all of that stuff. And finally he said, take the license away. After about three times, we finally did that. And then Red Lion mm -hmm. and nothing. What makes you think the commission would do it, could do it, within the framework of our constitutional mm -hmm. system. Uh, we need three votes at the commission to enforce the statute that Congress constitutionally passed and the president constitutionally uh, signed and is part of the law of the land. You, the term public interest convenience and necessity, I had my staff look this up years ago and I forget the exact number, it appears like 112 or 115 times in the statute. When Congress tells me something, I used to work in the Hill, if Congress tells me something 115 times, I think they're probably serious about it. And now Congress isn't telling you that. I think they're, well, it's the law. They don't have to tell me that. That's but you the law tell me of the land. The, but you tell me that the law is ignored. You're, you're telling, you're describing this god-awful situation. I'm saying that is the law and that the law should be enforced and you need uh, three votes to commission to enforce uh, the law. And I think the, uh, uh, the only way we're going to get to that is with some public pressure, uh, people saying... Uh, enforce the law and uh, do something about the kind of broadcasting that, uh, that I'm being fed back in my uh, community of license. What do you think the High Court would do with that now? I'm not talking about the Burger Court. I'm not going to make any, uh, any predictions, uh, but I don't think that that has to be the, uh, the thing that scares us away from serving the public interest. I think if I do my job and implement the law, and I take an oath to implement the law, the statute, not my own personal opinions, but the statute, uh, I think if we, uh, if we do that, uh, then uh, I'll take my chances, and I might get turned back, but in the meantime, I'm going to uh, uh, I'm going to do what I think uh, is right. I'm going to do what I think the law compels me to do, and uh, hope in the final analysis that it will turn out all right in the courts. You know, you know, I'm the last person in the world to rain on that parade. Uh, yet I guess I'm so discouraged by what I see. I, and I read your speeches, and I know that you're absolutely right that there has been an abandonment of this cause for 30 years. And I have to ask myself, why does he think it's going to be reversed. Well, I think, it, I think it can be. I think the licensing guidelines that I've talked about, we could, we could put those together and promulgate them tomorrow with a vote at the commission. It doesn't depend upon the president signing anything. It doesn't depend upon uh, Congress passing any new legislation. We have the authority to do that. It does depend upon the president nominating commissioners who will do that, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And the Senate approving them. Right. Well, we've got a couple of new commissioners. I'll be working to uh, proselytizing among, uh, among them. What do you think is going to happen? Seriously. 
with regard to this whole issue of the future of the whole issue. I think inevitably we're going to have to have uh, have the discussion that uh, uh, that I'm talking about having uh, as a country. The media is changing so rapidly. The technology of it's changing. The internet is going to play an ever more important role in uh, in how media is produced and how media is uh, uh, disseminated uh, amongst the people. So I don't think you can I don't think you can avoid it. And I think there is a feeling abroad, and many people in the land, I'm not saying it's 85% of the American people, but I think there are millions and millions of people in the United States who understand that the news and information infrastructure that we have right now is not serving them well. That we are not getting the information and news and depth that we need. And this is not a partisan issue wherever I go. And I've been, uh, over the 10 years, I guess, uh, probably to 100 town meetings around the, uh, around the country. One o'clock in the morning, some of them go eight, nine hours to so one o'clock in the morning, and you'll have a hall filled with three, 400 people with an open mic saying something is wrong and we need to change. That's why we got the three million letters uh, that I referenced earlier with regard to when Chairman Powell tried to loosen the uh, ownership rules. And I think that I think that concern is uh, out there. Uh, things can change pretty quick in a, uh, in a country. The political landscape can change uh, pretty quickly. Uh, you're seeing a little bit of that uh, uh, right now with some of the demonstrations going on, and I'm, you know, I'm, what do you think? Do you think there's a there's going to be a connection drawn between uh, the ninety nine, not nine nine nine, but the ninety nine and one, and the issue that you're talking about? Is it all part of the same thing? <clears throat> I think that the country is in sufficiently dire straits that we are going to have an era of reform. Uh, more significant reform uh, you know, in some of these issues in the years ahead than we have uh, than we have had in the past. I think uh, events will probably uh, compel it uh, unless we have solutions to some of these uh, problems that are confronting uh, the country right now. Uh, and I think people will understand that uh, to get on top of those problems, whether they're job creation or environmental control or energy dependence or health insurance or creating equal opportunity for people, uh, that we have to have some kind of uh, better understanding of those currents out there than we have right now. But it is interesting to note that uh, a, a little movement like this pops up like we've had in the last uh, several weeks and talk about the polls, I got to take the polls and a lot of people think there's nothing wrong with that. That's maybe maybe they're onto something. So you have to be very careful in predicting the uh, the future of the American people. You have to be very careful about uh, saying, "Well, we're never gonna we're never gonna change." You have a kind of populist streak to you, don't you? Yeah, I think uh, Mary Baker, uh, Eddie raise uh, raise less corn and more hail. I think that's kind of the, the essence of populism. I think the uh, the American people have. Uh, uh, a populist uh, heritage uh, to draw on, progressive uh, heritage to draw upon, and I think it's time that that comes forward. And your feeling, obviously, is that <clears throat> consolidation hasn't done the kind of damage to our understanding and our needs and our feelings 
that would preclude that understanding from being effective. Well, it's done a lot of damage, but I think there is there's still an understanding out there in spite of the awful damage that consolidation uh, has inflicted, in spite of the uh, dereliction of public interest responsibility that the communications the Federal Communications Commission has displayed over the last 30 year, or 40 years. Yeah, there's still something uh, uh, inside of people that uh, responds to uh, uh, the need of reform, the need for fairness, the need for fairness? equity. Yes. But you don't want to deal with the fairness I doctrine. Do, I want to deal with uh, the public interest and equity and fairness. I don't want to bring back something that's written 50 or 60 years ago and fight about that because that just derails us from having the discussion that we need to have about what is the proper media policy for the 21st century in a media environment that's substantially different than it was then. Not only the uh, radio and the television, but uh, uh, broadband and the Internet, too. Is Section 315A still in effect? It is, Equal time? It is still. Uh, Section 315 is the, uh, the expression of the public interest. Uh, equal time, yes. Is what's happened in terms of the debates that we see? I mean, I know that all the candidates aren't there on the requirement that I remember that every legally qualified candidate be given if others are given, or be sold if others are sold, equal time. What's happened to that? Where's the well, FCC I'm, there? Well, I, I don't think we've had anything uh, before us uh, particularly uh, on that issue right now. Uh, that's a difficult question when you start talking about uh, debates like that. If you have 50 candidates, I guess, or 60 candidates uh, step up to be heard on the debate. But the law, I gather is still on the books. Section 315 is, uh, is on the books, yes. Uh, and the equal in, time? In, with the kind of, uh, uh, with the kind of uh, granularity that, uh, that you're talking about. Uh, no, I think it's a more general uh, approach. So that you're not concerned about, well, I shouldn't put it that way. I should ask you what your concern I think broadcasters have a responsibility. I think media has a responsibility to be inclusive and to offer opportunities for the expression of diverse points of, uh, of view. What about Whether candidates? that means, pardon? What about candidates? What about the debates? Are you happy with what's happened to these uh, seemingly formal debates? Does it conform to what you think should be the FCC policy? Well. What's happened in the debates and what the FCC policy is are probably uh, two different questions. I think uh, the debates have just uh, kind of degenerated into, uh, this is purely personal uh, opinion, uh, a lot of uh, political uh, uh, theater and, uh, and gotcha kind of, uh, uh, kind of politics. Uh, I hope they're informing the American people. It's good that people watch debates, I guess, uh, any debates. We can all wish for higher quality debates, but again, uh, we don't dictate uh, content or influence uh, the content of those, uh, those debates. Let me ask you one thing, because I know we don't have much time left. Uh, the recent indecency question and this whole business of finding CBS uh, for... Um, I don't even know how to call it. I didn't see it, but a brief glimpse, I gather, of uh, less than a second of um, uh, female nudity seems to have gotten the FCC in an uproar. Uh, 
I think the whole indecency regime is uh, kind of in question right now. The Supreme Court is hearing a, uh, a couple of cases having to do with uh, indecency. Uh, nobody knows how they're going to uh, decide. They could decide it on uh, very narrow grounds, or they could cast their net more widely to include some of the broader uh, indecency uh, decisions, specific, or even go to something as broadly uh, important as, uh, as the Red Lion case, which supports a lot of the public interest things that, uh, uh, that we do. But indecency, uh, again, is part of the uh, Telecommunications Act. It's part of the uh, part of the statute. Uh, you take an oath to enforce the statute, so uh, it is still there. Uh, the court has said that uh, the commission, insofar as this f so-called fleeting indecency went, had not given adequate notice uh, to broadcasters that fleeting indecency might be as actionable as something that was less than fleeting and longer lasting. Uh, so that's uh, kind of the question that's up there, but in, practically speaking, in putting the brakes on the fleeting indecency right now, and while this is all in abeyance, it's, it's pretty much slowed down uh, indecency uh, decision-making at the Commission until we find out which way the Supreme Court is going to head. Any indication at all no. in terms of past judgments by this Court? No. What would you like to have happen? I think there uh, uh, is room to, uh, to have uh, an approach toward indecency that during those hours when children are watching uh, uh, discourages uh, uh, the kind of indecency that a lot of people find offensive. Uh, I also happen to think that uh, some of the uh, violence, although this has never been included under the, uh, the indecency, some of the gratuitous and uh, kind of sickening violence is probably not something that's advisedly shown to uh, kids during those hours. There's plenty of other opportunities for that. So uh, uh, I'm not saying uh, out with the regime. It's still part of the law. Whatever is part of the law, there it is. Thank you so much for joining me again, Commissioner Copps. Thank you. It's a privilege to be on. And thanks, too, to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time. Meanwhile... As an old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online right now or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other Open Mind and related programs. That's 13.org slash openmind.